This is a Rooster Teeth production. December 28, 2014. Indonesia Air Asia Flight 8501, an Airbus A320 with 162 people on board, is cruising at 32,000 feet over the Java Sea during an early morning flight from Surabaya, Indonesia, bound for Singapore. There are storms in the area, so the crew requests to climb to 38,000 feet, and after a brief delay, air traffic control clears them to 34,000 feet. Air traffic control is not getting any reply from the pilots and notices the plane first climbs past 38,000 feet, then begins plummeting to the sea below. The plane impacts the ocean, killing all on board. What happened to Indonesia AirAsia Flight 8501? How does a modern airliner fall out of the sky while at cruising altitude? Find out on this episode of Black Box Down. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Black Box Down. Uh, it's me, Gus, and it's you, Chris. And it's Black Box Down, all about plane incidents. And you, the listener. Yes. <laughs> the, the podcast isn't about you. You can listen to it. You're here. That's what I meant. Of course, before we get started, uh, please give us a follow on social media at Black Box Down Pod, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, post images and stuff that, to help you picture the, uh, the incident. And mm-hmm. uh, you can check out our link tree while you're on our social media. It's got uh, links to our merchandise, which uh, we have some new, uh, a new shirt, uh, mm-hmm. a new sticker, and new mug, which uh, should be available now by the time this. Yeah, it'll def- it's definitely available by the time this episode comes out. Uh, you can go, or you can go directly to store.roosterteeth.com. Yeah, and the merch directly helps support us make this yeah. show. Speaking of directly supporting us, you can also check out blackboxdownpod.com for information about how to get a premium version. Think of it like a first-class upgrade mm. for this podcast where you get uh, an ad-free experience and you get the episodes early. Uh, again, go to blackboxdownpod.com for information about that. You can keep listening in your current podcast audio platform of choice. Whatever it is, it's there. Yeah, and and we're uh, working on some uh, bonus content for people who support us on our podcast. Uh, premium yeah we you know we've been asking people to send us questions uh either so- via social media or via email to blackboxdownpod at gmail.com and you know we're collecting them all and uh, we're, we're 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 coming up with a way to to best begin uh answering uh these these questions we have there's a, there's a lot of good ones in there mm-hmm. it's stuff ranging from specific questions about like incidents to like just broader things about planes or or just weird stuff <laughs> i think the questions are interesting because it reminds me to t- that to not take things for granted, right? Like there's certain things that, you know, we need to make sure we cover certain things we need to make sure we talk about in order to keep the podcast as accessible as possible. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a good reminder of that. But then there's also, I feel like some questions that are, are diving into things more that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Anyway, today we're talking about Indonesia, AirAsia flight 8501. I may, so I just want to be clear here. <laughs> it's going to be uh-huh. a little confusing right off the bat. If for the sake of not having to say Indonesia Air Asia every time I say the airline for this episode, I'm, I might occasionally just say Air Asia. There are various Air Asia airlines, so this is specifically Indonesia Air Asia. Okay. Before we started recording, Dennis and I were talking about it because we were a little confused. We were like, "Why is it? Why is it this way?" Because I've seen planes labeled Air Asia. You know, they're they're painted mm-hmm. they just say Air Asia. I was like, why? You know, why does the report say Indonesia Air Asia? And we looked into it. It's like, oh, Air Asia actually has multiple branches in multiple countries. So that's why it very specifically says this is Indonesia AirAsia. Mm. There's also AirAsia X, Philippines AirAsia, Thai AirAsia, AirAsia India, Air, used to be AirAsia yeah. Zest, <laughs> AirAsia Japan, and there's others. So like specifically this incident is Indonesia AirAsia. Okay. I just needed to say that right off the bat. So 
This was an international flight from Surabaya, Indonesia to Singapore on December 28th, 2014. I always think it's funny when we have an incident that involves a flight departing or arriving to Singapore, just because it's like normally you say the city in the country was Singapore. It's just Singapore. <laughs> uh, anyway, it was back December 28th, 2014. The flight was screwed by Captain Arianto, who was 53 years old with 20,537 flight hours. And First Officer Remy Emmanuel Piesel, who was 46 with 2,247 flight hours. The aircraft was pretty new. Like I said, it was a six-year-old Airbus A320 with about 23,000 flight hours and 13,600 cycles. There were four flight attendants and one company engineer and 155 passengers on board as well. That's a lot. Yeah, that's that's a good number of people. Well, they had an engineer on. They don't, you said this was 2014? Yeah, the, he wasn't in the cockpit. He was just happened to be like okay. on the flight. You know, an Airbus A320, it's a, you know, what kind of like a stereotypical plane. If you don't know much about like different airplanes, like mm-hmm. when you imagine getting on a plane and flying somewhere, like if you're not crossing, you know, a, a, tra- a large transoceanic flight, like it's a, like, what most people consider like a regular size airplane. It's not like the small regional prop plane. It's not like a giant, you know, double mm-hmm. decker, double aisle uh, international flight. It's just like a single aisle, regular standard plane. All right. So it took off from Surabaya at 5.35 a.m. local time, which is 10.35 p.m. universal time. All of the times are universal time. Uh, I'm just saying the local time here so you know it was an mm-hmm. early morning flight. So even though like I, I might say 10.35 p.m. universal time, it's really 5.35 in the morning for them. Yeah, okay. That just means it was 10.35 p.m. universal time in London. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, just so it's consistent. Right. And uh, you know, we talk about this most of the time reports are in universal time. Mm-hmm. Just because sometimes, you know, flights depart one time zone, land in a different one. It can get really confusing. So normally you just use universal time. Anyway, the flight reached its cruising altitude of 32,000 feet at 10.49 p.m. Universal Time. And about eight minutes later, the first officer asked for the anti-ice system to be turned on. And passengers were asked to return to their seats due to the possibility of turbulence. Three minutes later at 11 p.m., a warning appeared on the ECAM. And we've talked about the ECAM before. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the electronic centralized aircraft monitor. It's like a little display in the cockpit that uh, they, it'll give you alerts. And if something's wrong, it tells you what to do to fix it. Okay. It's like a like a small display. Okay. And th- is it like a... Is it just, when it says there's a problem, is it just like text or does it show like where it might be in the plane or like what's the text that describes it? Uh, good, good question. Yeah. So uh, specifically, the text alert that they got was auto flight rudder travel limit one. And the first officer stated ECAM action. But a minute later, the flight data recorder recorded a failure on both rudder travel limiter units and triggered a chime and a master caution light. And then the ECAM displayed the message. Auto flight rudder travel limiter system. Are you going to break down what that means? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the auto flight rudder travel limiter is, it's a system where, no, we've talked about this before, where in some planes, especially like in Airbus planes, there are protections so that you can't do things, you can't give inputs that would be bad for the plane. Okay. So the auto flight rudder travel limiter keeps you from deflecting the rudder too much when you're at cruising speed. And it was going off saying that they were doing inputs on the plane that were, uh, I don't know, would have crashed the plane? No, well, no. The, 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 the error it's giving is that that limiter system isn't uh-huh. working right. Okay. So, you know, normally, you know, we've talked about incidents before where, you know, a pilot will start, you know, mashing on the rudder and cause it to break because, mm-hmm. you know, it's the aerodynamic forces are too great. This system tries to prevent that. It only yeah. allows for small rudder deflections. And this system that limits the rudder deflection is saying, hey, 
I'm not working right. Something's wrong with with the uh, the auto flight rudder travel limiter. Okay. So, um, you know, when the ECAM shows this, they say, you know, they acknowledge, oh, there's a problem with the system. But the ECAM also states what steps you take in order to rectify it. Mm-hmm. They call them ECAM action. So the captain read and performed the ECAM action for this message and, you know, the, the troubleshooting to fix it. And this was to set the flight augmentation computer one and two buttons to the off and then on position one by one. So it basically just like rebooting the two flight augmentation. Computers. <laughs> I was going to say, you just power cycled it. <laughs> right. You turn one off, then on, then you turn the other one off and then on. And then after this, the error went away and the rudder travel limiter units returned to normal function. Okay. So yeah, problem solved, right? Uh, yeah, I bet not. <laughs> <laughs> so... At 11.04, the captain requested to deviate 15 miles left of their track to avoid the weather. Mm-hmm. And this was approved by air traffic control. You know, no, normal, you know, if there's a yeah. storm, you don't want to fly through it. You fly around it a bit. Two minutes later, the first officer started the cruise crew briefing, which included the plan for if one engine failed or if they needed an emergency descent, which airport they can divert to. This is all standard, you know, checklist. What You know, we're at cruising altitude. Let's do our checklist. And, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like planning in case something goes wrong. You know, that way they talk about it ahead of time. That way, if something does go wrong, they're not like in the moment like, oh, no, what do we do? Yeah. At 11.09, the flight data recorder recorded a second failure on both rudder travel limiter units and triggered a chime and a master caution uh, light. So the pilots, you know, they're like, okay, they do the same ECAM action as before, reset the flight augmentation computers, and then the units begin functioning normally again. Mm. So already getting a little annoying. Yeah, because you're like... Well, it broke again. That's weird. Mm-hmm. At 11.12, the crew requested to climb to 38,000 feet whenever possible, and they were instructed to stand by. And then about a minute later, the rudder travel limiter unit fails again. It oh. triggers a chime and a master caution alert for the third time. And again, they perform the same actions, reboot the flat augmentation computers one at a time, and the system returned to function normally. Is there any protocol for when it breaks continuously to like do anything else? Or is this alarming to them? In a, in a dangerous way at this point? I think they're just annoyed at this point. I don't think they're afraid that anything's wrong. They're just like, oh my God, this thing again, right? Like they uh-huh. keep clearing it because the error keeps going away. Yeah. So, you know, if you if this was happening, they might be thinking, well, it's probably fine. The system's probably just giving us alerts for no reason. Because mm-hmm. it's just saying the protective system isn't working. Correct. Right. So, so like, just be careful when you mash yeah. the rudder then. Or <laughs> don't mash the rudder yeah, would be a yeah. better way to put that. <laughs> to be ginger with the rudder. <laughs> Uh, or use it gingerly. And so then after they reset this for the third time, about a minute later, it fails for a fourth time. And then right about the time it fails the fourth time, air traffic control contacts them and clears them to climb to 34,000 feet. But there was no response from the crew. The mm. controller then called the flight a few times without a response. Ooh. And at 11.16, the master caution alarm was triggered for a fifth time. But this time it was accompanied by a flight augmentation computer number one fault, followed by flight data recorder signature, of alteration of parameters of components controlled by flight augmentation computer number one. So what this means is these parameter patterns occur when the data to be recorded is not available for the flight data recorder. So uh, the flight data recorder is like giving an error, like, oh, I'm not getting the correct information from flight augmentation computer number one. So this parameter unavailability could be due to the emitter equipment being set to off, de-energized, which is a fancy word for like power down, or due to wiring or other issue, making it so the information doesn't get to the flight data recorder. So it's like the information is either not being supplied or it's not making it all the way there. It's being, for some reason, it's not making it to the flight data recorder. Mm. And then when this happens, the flight data recorder applies alternative recording of binary recorded data 
So for example, at one sample, it records the minimum parameter value. Then at the next sample, it records a maximum parameter value as soon as the parameter is not refreshed or not provided by the relevant equipment. So it's just like, it's trying to to take a, a guess. It's setting like, you know, what it does know down. It's like it's backup that isn't as accurate. It's kind of right. guesses well, it's, that- I mean, yeah, it's sampling minimum and maximum. So it's like, it's not giving you an exact reading. It's giving you a, like a range. Okay. 17 seconds later, the master caution was triggered a sixth time. Mm-hmm. This time by auto flight augmentation computer one and two fault. And the same flight data recorder signature alteration was recorded. So this time, like the errors are now different than they were uh-huh. earlier. Before it was like auto flight rudder travel uh, limiter. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it's saying the augmentation computers, both of them are at fault. And remember, the flight augmentation computers one and two is what they reboot to try to fix the other problem. Now they're just getting a fault on those systems. At this point, the pilots aren't responding to flight control. Correct. Okay, so we're just we're just the computer right now. Correct. And you know, normally when we've talked about this before mm-hmm. as well, like responding to air traffic control is not the number one priority of pilots. The number mm-hmm. one priority is fly the plane. Yeah. So when you know things are going wrong, they're probably looking at the plane, and then it's like, okay, we'll mm-hmm. deal with. Air traffic control once we get, you know, obviously warnings are going off. It's like, let's deal with these warnings. We'll deal with air traffic control once we get this stuff straightened out. So when they stop responding, that means probably something, (laughs) yeah, crazy stuff's happening. Right. Something bad's happening. So, you know, when this fault goes off for the auto flight augmentation computers, again, like I said, the flight data recorder isn't getting all of its parameters. And parameters being affected are things like rudder travel limiter use, wind shear detection, and rudder travel limiter actuators. The autopilot and autothrust then disengaged and flight control law reverted from normal law to alternate law. Remember, we've talked about Mm. alternate law before. And the aircraft started to roll to the left and reached 54 degrees of bank angle. For those who didn't listen to our episode where we talked about alternate law before, so normal law, this this is kind of the thing we, we talked about a little while ago, where normal law provides protections for the plane, where, you know, when you give inputs to the plane, because you're not actually moving it's a fly-by-wire system you're not actually moving the, like the flaps or the rudder or the ailerons or anything by yourself manually you know when you're flying the plane like this you're giving inputs to a side stick and then you know electronically a computer interprets what you're doing and then you know actuates whatever flight controls you uh surfaces you're trying to uh move like power steering power steering is almost more like a hydraulic system this is like if you weren't even if there was, you know, there wasn't any connection. This is almost more like playing a video game where you've got okay. a joystick. Yeah. And it's like you're yeah. giving the inputs and the computer's determining what that actually means. In my mind, power steering is a lot more analogous to like a hydraulic system. And there okay. are hydraulics on this plane. Just this is going to a computer and then the computer's actuating the hydraulics. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Video game is a good. <laughs> so, you know, the, all of these protections operate in normal law. When the plane switches to alternate law, certain flight protections are lost, such as bank angle load factor, and angle of attack. And a reason that a plane might switch from normal law to alternate law is when it's not receiving, the computer's not receiving all of the data it needs to be able to make decisions. Like in our previous episode where we talked about this, the pitot tubes had gotten iced over, so the computer wasn't getting airspeed, so that's why it switched from normal law to alternate law. Gus, do we got more ice? We'll get to it. Mm. (laughs) So like I said, the plane went from normal law to alternate law. Then it started rolling to the left and reached mm-hmm. 54 degrees of bank angle, which is a pretty extreme bank angle. Mm-hmm. Nine seconds after the autopilot disengaged, the right side stick activated and the aircraft roll angle reduced to nine degrees left, but then rolled back to 53 degrees left. I assume that's them struggling with it. Right. Like that lets you know that, you know, they went to the right 
rolled almost to wings level, but then rolled back to the left again, mm-hmm. almost back you know, to 53 degrees, almost back to where they were initially. The aircraft also climbed to 38,000 feet with a climb rate of 11,000 feet per minute, which is super extreme. So they're kind of rolling between left and level and then start, you know, really climbing dramatically. That's weird. But then yeah. they requested to, they were going to go to 34,000 feet, right? Correct. They had, they had asked for 38,000. Uh-huh. They were cleared to 34,000, but then the plane, you know, climbs up to 38,000. And real fast? Real fast. Way too fast. At 11.17, the stall warning activated for four seconds, stopped for one second, and then continued until the end of the recording. Yeah, I'm sure you guessed. Yeah, if you're climbing that fast, 11,000 uh-huh. feet a minute, you're probably going to stall. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why the stall warning is going off. And a normal climb is well, how many thousand feet a minute? You might do three, maybe four. Mm-hmm. And they did so 11. This is, this is, yeah, this is way, way faster. And of course, you know, climb speeds can be different mm-hmm. depending on what altitude you're at. You know, when at takeoff is when you typically have your greatest climb speed. Uh, the air is denser. When you're at cruising altitude, the air is not as dense. So typically your climbs are not as dramatic. So even yeah. though you might be able to do, you know, 3,000 feet at takeoff, when you're at cruising altitude, you probably wouldn't climb that quickly. Okay. We've actually talked about that too before. Yeah. Those two pilots who went joyriding, uh, yeah, trying to get yeah, to, yeah. to their maximum altitude, they were climbing too quickly at at high altitude, and they were at like forty something. I think it was like forty one thousand, if I yeah. remember right. So anyway, over the next several seconds, the left side stick activated for a couple seconds at a time, uh, and then remained activated until the end of the recording. And it was the right one that made the correction earlier, right? Correct. That's uh, the first. The first officer sits on the right side. The captain sits on the left side. Okay. The right side stick input was mostly at maximum pitch up until the end of the recording. And also, while this was going on, the lowest recorded airspeed reached during this time was 55 knots, which is... Oh, my God. Yeah, 63 miles an hour or 102 kilometers an hour, which is super slow. That is way, way, way too slow uh, for this plane. Especially when they're trying to climb. Yeah. um, In, you know, I've been taking flying lessons in that, uh-huh. you know, a single engine Cessna uh, 172. If <laughs> if airspeed in a Cessna 172 got down to 55 knots, I would be sweating. Like, <laughs> that's like mm. you're coming. You're, it's like you better be right over the runway about to land. I thought there was a way if you're like gliding like into the wind. So there are different speeds you want to account for, or there's different ways to think about speed. Airspeed is the speed of the oh, wind over yes. the wing. That's right. right. That, Not, that can be different than ground speed. God, okay, yeah. That's what so, I was thinking of. Like, Because you've told me before that with a really like high wind that you're flying into and you're, you're just gliding, you can practically be going your actual speed, like nothing, right? Ground speed. Yeah. Ground speed, your, nothing. Your ground, your ground speed, yeah. If you have a very strong headwind uh, and you get in a slow flight, your ground speed could be very, very slow. I've gotten down to like 13 miles an hour ground speed. Uh, but, you know, airspeed, even when that's happening, the airspeed is probably still like, you know, 60, 65 knots uh-huh. just because, you know, the, yeah. you have to account for the wind. So, yeah, here the airspeed was 55 knots, which means almost no air is going over the wings and you need air going over the wings to create lift. And the highest altitude they reached was 38,500 feet. The aircraft then rolled 104 degrees to the left. So 90 degrees would be, you know, wings perpendicular to the ground 104 it's like past perpendicular so they're like more upside down than right side up correct they began descending at a rate uh, of up to twenty thousand feet per minute 
Whoa. Yeah. When the flight reached 29,000 feet, the aircraft attitude was wings level with pitch and roll angles at about zero. So they, you know, they're, they're falling. They fall at, at 29,000 feet. The plane's actually upright. The wings mm-hmm. are level and their pitch is also pretty much level as well. So, you know, it's like the plane looks normal, but it's like pancaking falling down. Okay. Yeah. So they leveled it out, but now they just have no sp- speed right the airspeed at this point is varying between 100 to 160 knots which is still too slow at this point if they were to save this they would have to what like nose down right nailed it captain chris (laughs) so even though right even though their pitch and roll angles are at about zero you know they're going pretty slow the angle of attack was about 40 degrees up Mm. And the reason is, you know, we've talked about this before, angle of attack is the angle between your wings and the relative wind as it hits the wings. So since they're falling down, the wind is kind of coming from the bottom. Like if you imagine mm-hmm. the wing being level, they're yeah. falling down, the wind's hitting it from the bottom. So it's essentially their angle of attack is 40 degrees, even though their wings are level. Mm-hmm. So you're right. In order to solve that, you nose down to decrease the angle of attack and get more wind flowing over the wings. Yeah. So you'd have to nose down, pick up speed, and then slowly bring it back up, right? Yes. And But it's scary because they're falling out of the sky. And the idea of nosing down is like, let's go, let's go to the ground faster. Right. And also if they're falling, you know, if they're falling at 20,000 feet per minute, they're at 29,000 feet. They've got about 90, less than 90 seconds. Oh my God. That's so, that's so fast. Right. So it's like, you need to make this adjustment quickly. Like it needs to be immediate. Bam. Push forward on the stick or, and uh, nose down, increase your speed and then climb out of the stall. But that's assuming they can even control. We don't know what's going on. Right. Yeah. Best case scenario. That's what you do. If you have to immediately recognize what's going on, act and recover. The last data recorded by the flight data recorder was at 11, 20 and 35 seconds. The plane had an airspeed of 132 knots, pitched nose up at 20 degrees, and an angle of attack of 50 degrees, and an 8-degree roll to the left at an altitude of 118 feet. Flight 8501 crashed into the Java Sea off the Indonesian coast without any emergency transmissions. So, you know, based on the, the last data I gave you there, airspeed, too slow, angle of attack, way too great, still pitched nose up, you know, it still seems like Someone's pulling back. And I said that, actually. The right stick was pulled back the entire time. Mm. When, you know, and you said the answer is you got to, you have to nose forward, you have to push forward, decrease that angle of attack. And, and just timing-wise, from the time in which they stopped like that, uh, I guess it was like the fourth air when they started climbing to just to them crashing. How long was that? The fifth time that the, you know, when I said air traffic control was trying to get back in touch uh-huh. with them and, you know, the fifth time that the master caution alert triggered was at 11.16, and they hit the ocean at 11.20, so within four minutes. Real fast. And I said uh, the the stall warning started activating at 11.17. So that's about the time, you know, when the stall warning activated, that's about the time that they started mm-hmm. falling. So it was about three minutes. Three minutes from the uh, falling. Mm-hmm. Really scary three minutes. Yeah, it's, I, I, I can't imagine. Uh, God, I'm just thinking about that as a as a passenger, because that's, you're just, you you would feel the, the plane, right, not moving forward, you see it, just, it would just be falling. Well, it's it's hard to say because, remember, you don't feel, your body doesn't feel speed. Your body feels acceleration. Mm. Uh, that's why, like, when yeah. you're in a plane and you're flying at, like, 
500 miles an hour. It doesn't feel weird. You know, you feel the takeoff, mm-hmm. you feel that thrust, you know, when you're going from sitting still to, you know, 500 miles an hour. But once you're at that speed, you don't move. So in this case, you know, they were, the plane was more or less in the proper orientation, slight, you know, pitch 20 degrees mm-hmm. nose up. They would have felt, they would have definitely felt the acceleration when the stall started. I don't know what it would feel. I don't know like what the G-force would have been on mm. them. The plane is falling out kind of from under them. That's a tough one, Chris. I don't know. I don't know enough about physics to answer <laughs> that. It, 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 it very well could have been terrifying. I mean, I, you know, of course it was terrifying, but I, I'm try, I don't know what the physical sensation would have been. Like, I don't know if like yeah. they would have been pressed up against their their seatbelts are not the whole time. I don't know. I was just thinking, it just made me think of the Tower of Terror and <laughs> Disney. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, where you just fall. Yeah. Except, yeah, this is for 38,000 feet. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, the investigation was carried out by Indonesia's National Transportation Safety Committee. The investigators noticed all the master caution triggers and the report notes uh, when the ECAM message of rudder travel limiter system displayed. Uh, the correct action was to push the flight augmentation computer push button to off and then on one by one. That's, you know, and that's, that's what we what said. And that's what they did the first four times or so. So they keep abbreviating the flight augmentation computer as FAC. Uh, so if you hear me say FAC, that's what it is. So okay. the action was intended to uh, reset the FAC, and the pilots performed these actions as stated in the ECAM. After conducting the ECAM actions, the problem reappeared in shorter intervals, and after repeating the action three times, the crew might have started to consider a different action to solve the problem, right? It's like what you were mm-hmm. asking, like, what happens? Like, they keep the problem keeps coming back. What they're doing doesn't seem to be clearing the error. So th- it seems like they may have started trying to think, what else can we do to fix this? Mm-hmm. Oh. And it turns out, three days before this accident, on December 25th, this same captain performed a flight with this same aircraft. And prior to the flight, a rudder travel limiter unit malfunction occurred on the ground. Oh. And the captain, you know, told maintenance about it because they were on the ground. Maintenance came in uh, to look at it and he saw, the captain saw that maintenance reset a circuit breaker. Oh no. To fix the problem. Oh no. So this might, in his mind, this might have led the captain to believe he could perform a similar action in flight to fix the problem. Oh no. And if you remember, I said the flight data recorder showed that 1116. It stopped recording. Oh right. my God. The flight augmentation computers were de energized, which led to the flight augmentation computer fault message and the sixth master caution alert. Oh no. He reset the circuit breaker. Right. Then the flight data recorder shows that both flight augmentation computers were re energized, meaning the circuit breakers were re engaged. Oh. However, turning the circuit breakers back on during flight doesn't automatically make the flight augmentation computers to be re engaged and recover its function. Oh, it doesn't? No. What you have to do is you then, after you re-energize it, you have to reset the push buttons again on the overhead panel. So they didn't do that. He just reset the circuit breaker, but then didn't reset the push buttons. And without doing this, the flight augmentation computer and all the related, syst- all the related systems don't engage. And he just didn't know this because he you aren't supposed to reset the circuit breaker? Right. Like, that's not... The ECAM didn't tell him to do that. That's not something yeah. you're supposed to do in flight. You could do it on the ground. But once it he did do it, it didn't tell him to then do the next steps because that was all offline? Well, it didn't tell him to do the next steps because he did something he wasn't supposed to do in the first place. Yeah, I guess I'm saying, but then once he did that, there was no instructions on how to fix his error. Right, because it's just the system that, right the system would never have anticipated him doing this because it's not something he's supposed to do. Yeah, so it's just it'd be like someone I don't know, like climbing onto a hood of a car and like start pulling at wires. <laughs> <laughs> I I I can't even think of an I analogy. Don't, that that's 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 similar to this. I was like, 
I don't know. Like, okay, here's one. It's like your your computer's acting slow. Mm-hmm. So you open up the case and unplug the hard drive and then plug the hard drive back in oh. to try to make it. Right. It's like, yeah. well, what? the computer's still on. It's not working now. It's like, well, yeah, you need to reset the computer. You you messed with it. Yeah. You, it's, uh, <laughs> you're safely removing your hardware. No, you didn't. Yeah, right. <laughs> so because the flight augmentation computer did not re-engage, the autopilot and auto thrust disengaged and the flight control law reverted from normal law to alternate law. That's why it lost data. And that's why mm-hmm. it wasn't an icing situation. Just the computer didn't re-engage. And so now they're in alternate law. Yes. Is the plane functioning at all at this point? Like, can they... It, it is. Remember, in alternate law, the plane still flies fine. Okay. The thing is, when you give it control inputs, it's not going to respond the same way it does and in normal law. you don't law know it's because, in alternate law. Correct. You can give it a lot more extreme inputs in alternate law versus normal law. So when the flight control reverted to alternate law, the rudder deflected two degrees to the left, which caused the aircraft to start rolling six degrees per second to the left. And they didn't notice. They didn't give any input for nine seconds. And that's why six times nine is 54. That's why the aircraft had rolled 54 degrees to the left. Oh. And, and you know, there's that thing that tells you what where you are relative to the ground. What is that called? The uh, Like a, like an ADI, like an artificial horizon? Yeah. Was that functioning at this point? Yes. Or, okay. So presumably they were distracted at this point. Okay. Like they're looking somewhere else. They're, you know, concerned with, you know, what's going on with this other thing. They're not looking at it. So, yeah, that's why. And then presumably after nine seconds, they look at it. And then that's when, you know, they begin trying to take action. Mm-hmm. And so th- just so you know, the Airbus Quick Reference Handbook states... In flight, as a general rule, the crew must restrict computer resets to those listed in the table or to those in applicable operation engineering bulletins. Before taking any action on other computers, the flight crew must consider and fully understand the consequences. So the investigation considered this statement can be interpreted that only the computer circuit breakers listed in operation engineering bulletins or other tables were allowed to be reset in flight. However, other statements allow circuit breakers to be pulled as long as the pilot is aware of the consequences. Mm-hmm. Because the captain saw an engineer reset the circuit breakers on the ground, he probably thought he fully understood the consequences of the action and probably thought it was okay. But there, are there ever instructions? There are checklists and things that might say reset the circuit breakers, right? Yeah. But it'll yeah. say, this is what's going to happen, then you have to do this, then you have to do this. But Right. Yeah. This was, not, this was not one of those. And as a matter of fact, the report notes that the consequences of resetting these circuit breakers in flight are not described in Airbus documents. Anyway, uh, going back to what we were talking about, the, um, the roll of 54 mm-hmm. degrees to the left. You know, when it reached 54 degrees to the left, the first officer, presumably this is when he notices, you know, he looks at his uh, ADI. So the first officer moves his side stick back so the airplane pitched up and moved it all the way to the right. The first officer might have been startled when he realized the unusual attitude. It may have affected his reaction to the developing situation. So it's like he saw it and then immediately mm-hmm. like, oh, like almost like a panic reaction. Oh. Like kind of jerks it to the right and back. Yeah. The startle reaction may induce spontaneous or involuntary action and may degrade human performance, which may impair his situational awareness, decision making and problem solving, as well as a decrease in critical skills needed to handle the complexity of the situation. So when he pushed his stick to the right, remember I said it went from 54 degrees to nine degrees. Mm-hmm. It did that in two seconds. <laughs> oh. So it was like, a really fast bank over to the right, which might not have happened in normal law. Remember, they're in alternate law, so things yeah, are it, much all, more extreme. Normal law prevents the plane from doing things that will break the plane. Alternate right, or, law, anything goes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, 
this, you know, this rapid roll might have caused an excessive roll sensation, uh-huh. which would lead him to then shift back to the left again, which caused the aircraft to roll back to 53 degrees. And we've talked about this before, like how the fluid in your ear mm-hmm. can like slosh around and it'll mess with your equilibrium and make you think you're level when you're not. So mm-hmm. it could be he went very quickly to the right, his equilibrium was off and he thought he went too far to the right. So then compensated by going back to the left, but then went back too far to the left again, even though he was never level to begin with. Yeah, and this is bad for the plane. I These crazy yeah it's it's bad it's outside of normal operating envelope and it's crazy if you're in the plane Mm -hmm. i mean this is a very extreme uh rolling that they're going through the first officer was then able to move the side stick to the right slowly reaching a 2.5 degree roll attitude but while he was doing this he was still pulling back on the stick it's like one of those things like where he's Mm -hmm. panicked right he doesn't realize that he's he may not realize that he's doing it and he's probably not doing it that much because what he's used to is normal law where that little gesture might not do that much, but now... Correct. Mm. Uh, And eventually the plane started to reach a stall, and when the captain realized this, he started to push forward on his control stick. But as we've talked about this before, when both side sticks are moved at the same time, neither takes priority. Oh, no. So this is then one's pushing up, one's pushing down, and it just goes... One's pushing down. That's an interesting choice of words. Well, wait, what should I... Wait, wait. You, what you say? We said, uh, how did you phrase it? You said one's pushing, one's pushing up, up, one's pushing down. As in one's trying to go, one's nosing up, one's nosing down, right? But you see how you said pushing up and pushing down? Yeah, I guess it would be pulling and put... What would be the correct terminology? Well, so the reason I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, I'm going gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna to jump ahead a little bit. When the aircraft was, was nosing up, the captain began commanding the first officer, and this is a quote, Pull down, which, if you think about it, doesn't make sense. Normally, when you want to nose down, you push on the stick. When you want to nose up, you pull back on it. So what does pull down mean? That's why I started, when you said, like, push up and push down, it's like the opposite of what he was saying, kind of, where it's like, you, mm. this isn't a proper nomenclature. This isn't like... Uh, so he used my nomenclature. Yeah. Oh, well, kinda, my God. Yeah. He, he said pull down. It's like, it should have been push down, like nose down. Pull down, like in your mind, you could kind of interpret that as like pull back. Yeah. Which would nose up. Which would nose up. So to add to the confusion, that was another thing that was happening. The captain's telling the first officer pull down, which doesn't make sense. What And what he should have said is is push nose, down or, push or nose down, down. Or down. Nose down. Yeah. What did I say? I said no, push down. You said push up or push down. So you push down is correct. Push up is weird. Wrong. Right. Okay. So I said it. Wait. No, so I said it better than he did? You said push up and push down. <laughs> so you said one, the opposite of what he did, but still wrong. And then the other one, correct. <laughs> okay. But it would be pull up, push down. Okay. Sorry. Don't apologize. We're not flying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like anyway, going back. So I, I just thought that was, that was int- an interesting time to, to bring that up. Yeah. Because he messed it up. <laughs> he messed up. Yeah. So uh, what we, ta- we were talking about, both side sticks being moved at the same time. Neither takes uh-huh. priority. And when this occurs, uh, there's a light that turns on followed by a dual input voice message. And the pilot flying should stop providing input or one of the pilots should press uh-huh. a priority push button, which lets them take control. There, this button's on the stick and they have to push and hold it for 40 seconds. Oh no! It basically, it locks the other stick out. They don't have 40 seconds. Well, they did. Remember, we said they had like three minutes. Well, but at this point, are they... This is when the stall is starting. They're at the, oh. they're at the, yeah, this is at the very top. Oh, so they did have 40 seconds. Okay. Yeah. 
And the flight data recorder shows the captain briefly pushed the button, but he didn't push and hold it for long enough. Was he panicking? I he's probably he's panicking. Pan- yeah. Probably panicking. And like we said, or like I said earlier, during the stall, the crew managed to recover the aircraft to a level state. However, the angle of attack was still very high, and the aircraft was descending at a rate of about 12,000 feet per minute. Like I said before, in normal conditions, when your pitch and roll are pretty much at zero and both engines are at cruise power, you'll be in straight and level flight. Mm-hmm. But not, you know, not descending. They kept descending. You know, even if the aircraft is descending at constant cruise power, there will be acceleration enabling it to recover speed and lift. However, the indicated airspeed was constantly below the aircraft's stall speed, and the aircraft continued to lose altitude. The crew had stall recovery training, but only in high pitch attitudes and not in attitudes near zero degrees of pitch. So they may not have been able to fully recognize the stall situation and recover from it. Because it seems like in your brain, it seems counterintuitive. Like you would start, mm-hmm. you think that a stall only would occur when you have a really high, when your nose is pitched really high up. Yeah. But their speed had gotten so slow that they were falling and the angle of it, even though they were at close to zero, zero degrees of pitch, their angle of attack was still really extreme because they were falling, they were pancaking flat down. Yeah, because it slowed down so much. Right. Investigators discovered that the activation of the master caution was triggered by a malfunction in the RTLU, the rudder travel limiting unit. So, right, that, I mean, that's, that's what they're going to have to look into. Why mm-hmm. did this error keep popping up? Because they wouldn't have tried anything if this error hadn't kept popping up during the flight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after the crash, they examine the rudder travel uh, limiter unit and they conclude that the failure of the unit was caused by a cracked soldering of the electronic module of both channel A and B as a result of the thermal cycles associated with on-off power and ground flight conditions, causing a fatigue phenomenon of the soldering to generate. So basically, it was just a little crack in the soldering that was causing the error message to come up. Just a little crack. So this crack in the soldering resulted in intermittent failure of the RTLU. The investigation revealed several maintenance records associated with the rudder travel limiter system in the last 12 months prior to this accident. Remember, I said this pilot, this captain had even been on this plane and seen the same error on the ground mm-hmm. three days before. The records showed that the interval of the malfunction became shorter in the last three months, even though maintenance actions have been performed since the first malfunction was identified in January 2014. So it had been going on for almost an entire year. 11 months. It just kept getting worse? Yes. The the interval was getting shorter and shorter uh-huh. in the last three months. The company did not have a clear policy of recording defects captured by the centralized fault display system or the printed post-flight reports. This resulted in line maintenance personnel not being aware of similar problems and repeating similar maintenance actions and not recording the problems as repetitive. Mm. So basically, there was no record that this was ongoing. They would look at it, think that they would fix it, and it would keep flying. And it, it, is it just... It would basically rely on the chance that the same maintenance person was doing the same action and recognized that it was the same plane. You'd be like, huh, this is weird. Right. So, yeah, it'd have to be happening a lot. Right, exactly. And it was, but, you know, these planes, they fly to different airports, there's different people working, Mm -hmm. you never know. So there was no record of it being an ongoing thing. Every time someone from maintenance looked at it and worked on it, they thought they fixed it. The operator maintenance system only recorded partial post-flight report data, including the associated maintenance actions, resulting in inadequate data to identify and analyze defects. Therefore, there were missed opportunities to identify and rectify a series of recurring RTLU faults. So that's ultimately what it boiled down to. This was a soldering problem, and it was going on for a year, and no one actually sat down to and realized it was a recurring problem. Yeah. That that issue, it it was just a a computer thing. the plane would have been fine if he if he hadn't yanked the circuit. Yanked yeah, it the, out. 
Or- the rudder travel limiter units were actually malfunctioning because of the soldering. Uh-huh. But I mean, it would, the, the, plane, the plane was still flyable. Just yeah. they would have to be careful when applying rudder input at high speed. So there are some findings here. When the aircraft was cruising, there were three master caution activations associated with rudder travel limiter unit and the Amber ECAM messages auto flight rudder travel limiter system between 1101 and 1113. The pilots performed the ECAM actions and the system returned to functioning normally. At 11.15 and 36 seconds, the fourth master caution and ECAM message auto flight rudder travel limiter system triggered. The recorder did not record any ECAM actions. At 11.16.44 seconds, the sixth master caution triggered by auto flight augmentation computer one and two fall, followed by flight data recorder signature of alteration of parameters of components controlled by flight augmentation computer two. The autopilot and auto thrust disengage and the flight control law reverted from normal law to alternate law. The rudder deflected two degrees to the left. So presumably this is when the circuit breakers were reset. And and we you say presumably, we don't have like a the recording of them doing it? Like, hey, I'm going to do this thing? No, I think, I don't remember exactly what was said, but I think uh-huh. in the cockpit voice recording, I he says something like, I'm going to try something different or I think I know how to fix this. But there's no like clear. I'm going to oh. go reset the circuit breaker. But you could, inf- if he th- probably the crew remembers. Oh, he was sitting here and he saw us do this. Right. Well, and they looked at the the logs. You know, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, he flew this plane three days before. Maintenance was on the plane. You know, mm-hmm. you can kind of start piecing it together. Yeah. There is record of the circuit breaker being reset, and that's actually the next finding here. Oh. The fault on the flight augmentation computers was associated with an interruption of electrical power which was likely due to the FAC circuit breakers being reset. So they can see that the electrical power was interrupted. Mm-hmm. And presumably, since it came back, it was the circuit breakers. Again, he saw someone reset the circuit breakers. Power was lost and came back. Oh, you know, it's recorded. So most likely he reset the circuit breakers. At 11.16 and 54 seconds, the FAC2 parameter was back to on and all fluctuating parameters stopped. The autopilot and autothrust remained disengaged. Flight control law remained in alternate law. The FAC push button on the overhead panel was not reset to off and then on. As a result, the FAC functions remained unavailable and all equipment controlled by FAC did not operate. The rudder deflected by two degrees, resulting in a roll rate of six degrees per second to the left without pilot input for nine seconds. The aircraft rolled to the left up to 54 degrees. The delayed response from the first officer was likely due to his attention not being directed to the primary flight display due to many things happening at the same time. However, the investigation could not determine where his attention was directed to. You, you remember you asked, like, you know, was the ADI working? And it was. Mm-hmm. They, they know he wasn't looking at it because this happened, but they couldn't determine yeah. what he was looking at. But there was a lot going on. After the right side stick activated, the aircraft roll angle reduced to nine degrees. This rapid right rolling movement might cause an excessive roll sensation to the right. The first officer may have experienced spatial disorientation and overcorrected by shifting the side stick to the left, which caused the aircraft to roll back to the left up to 50 degrees. The initial first officer action on side stick input of up to 15 degrees back resulted in a pitch attitude of 9 degrees nose up within 3 seconds. So this is when they started climbing mm-hmm. like crazy. The aircraft pitch reached 24 degrees nose up with the captain commanding pull down. Remember, this is what I said earlier. Mm-hmm. However, the right side stick input increased, resulting in the angle of attack reaching its maximum of 48 degrees nose up. The first officer might have had a decreased situational awareness and he did not react appropriately in this complex emergency, resulting in the aircraft becoming upset. The pilots were trained and had experience of recovering from approaching stall. Uh, The condition of stall at zero pitch had never been trained as training for stall was always with a high pitch attitude. This is what I talked about before. Normally, they would imagine, you know, the nose being pitched up. In this case, they were pretty level. The stall condition is classified as an emergency, which requires the captain to take over control. 
the cockpit voice recorder did not record any command by the captain that they were taking over control of the aircraft using the standard call out of I have control or by activating the priority button for 40 seconds. And we've talked about this before. Normally, they can say I have control or I'll, you know, give me the controls and they'll, you know, control is deferred to them. Okay. That was never said. The cracking of the solder joint of both channel A and B resulted in loss of electrical continuity and led to RTLU failure. The existing maintenance data analysis led to unresolved repetitive faults occurring within shorter intervals. The same fault occurred four times during the flight. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. The flight crew's actions to the first three faults in accordance with the ECAM messages. Following the fourth fault, the flight data recorder recorded different signatures that were similar to the FAC circuit breakers being reset, resulting in electro- electrical interruption of the FACs. Subsequent flight crew action led to inability to control the aircraft in the alternate law, resulting in the aircraft departing from the normal flight envelope entering a prolonged stall condition that was beyond the capability of the flight crew to recover. So despite all of those findings, there's actually only five recommendations. This is uh-huh. pretty cut and dry. Indonesia Air Asia is recommended to reemphasize the importance of standard callouts in all phases of flight. This would have helped. I have control. You have control. Push down. <laughs> pull back. Uh, pull up. You know, those kinds of things. Yeah. Indonesia Air Asia is recommended to reemphasize the taking over control procedure in various critical situations of flight. Again, I have control. You have control. Mm-hmm. The Directorate General Civil Aviation is recommended to ensure that air operators conduct similar upset recovery training in a timely manner. Again, stall recovery at zero degree pitch attitude. The Directorate General Civil Aviation is recommended to ensure that air operator maintenance systems have the ability to detect and address all repetitive faults appropriately. Keep track when there's a fault. <laughs> Recognize when it's happening again and again. And the last one. Airbus is recommended to develop a means for flight crews to effectively manage multiple and repetitive master caution alarms to reduce distraction. I really don't know what to do, what to say about that one. Um, <laughs> don't be just, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't More get training. distracted. But I mean, this was a maintenance issue at its core. It should have been fixed. Anyway, that's it. That's all for Indonesia Air Asia Flight 8501. It's so bizarre to me that, you know, if they had just either, you know, kept, kept doing what the ECAM said, you know, first of all, the problem shouldn't have been going off for this long. Yeah. Second of all, if they just kept doing what the ECAM said or just let the error sit there and been, you know, careful about what they were doing, they would have been fine. But, you know, getting up, pulling a circuit breaker, if they had rebooted, you know, if they had reset the FAC one and two, it would have come back online. So many things that they just nose down. <laughs> so many little things could have been done to save this flight. And just like that's I mean, so many things went wrong. But that's it for uh, Indonesia Air Asia Flight 8501, a confusing airline name with mm-hmm. a confusing <laughs> uh, incident. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, that's it. And we'll be back next week with uh, another episode. Make sure I tell, tell a friend if you could, if you could recommend this podcast to someone else, we'd greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Bye. Bye.